Welcome to the Azure Security Podcast, where we discuss topics relating to security, privacy, reliability, and compliance on the Microsoft Cloud Platform. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 59. Uh, This week is another one of those special weeks. We actually don't have a guest. Uh, This week we have Mark, and he's going to talk about something that's near and dear to his heart, but more on that in a moment. So first up, let's take a little quick lap around the news. Uh, Sarah, why don't you kick things off? Sure. So, um, I haven't got too much news this time around, but uh, the one thing that is exciting is we announced um, a public preview release of Gateway Load Balancer. So, what that is, is uh, a load balancer that is actually... um, designed for use with NVAs or network virtual appliances. So uh, if you're not familiar with what those are, that is generally our um, third-party firewalls. They have to run um, as NVAs in Azure. So uh, previously, um, our other uh, load balancers didn't work with them. But of course, load balancing is important for firewalls. And if you'd rather use a third-party firewall rather than an Azure, um, you can now have a look at the gateway load balancer to uh, do your load balancing across those NVAs. So yeah, pretty exciting. I think that's going to be super useful. So go and have a look if you are using NVAs in your environment. Then my other exciting bit of news is uh, uh, I get to go to Black Hat and DEF CON this year. Hooray. Uh, So that'll be really exciting. Um, It's, of course, really exciting to go back to doing some in-person events. That gateway load balance, that's a new load balancer, right? So it's it's another one that we've added to the list of load balancers. Is that right? Yes, it is. It's a new one uh, okay. because our other load balancers couldn't work with NVAs. They would only work with native Azure devices. So this one is NVA aware. So yeah, it's a, yeah, it is a brand new type of load balancer. And NVA is network virtual appliance. Is that correct? It is. Yes, that's right, Mark. So usually when we're talking about an NVA, we're talking about if, if you choose to use a a Cisco ASA, a Palo Alto, a Checkpoint, uh, some non-Microsoft firewall in your environment. Um, in Azure, they run as NVAs and the architecture. Uh, this, this is a hole we won't go down, but um, architecturally, um, because they're running on top of a virtual machine, uh, we have to set them up a little bit differently to a, a native uh like say Azure Firewall or Azure WAF. And one of the things that was a disadvantage was that the uh, load balancers, our Azure load balancers, couldn't work with those NVAs. But now this new one can. So that's why it's important and exciting. All right, I've got a few news items. Um, The first one is that Azure Confidential Ledger is now generally available. Now, a few weeks ago, we had a discussion about Azure SQL Ledger which is not the same as the the confidential ledger. Now, one thing that's really cool is that the SQL ledger can use confidential ledger. So confidential ledger is basically at the back end using blockchain-like technology um, to provide uh, things like tamper-evident data streams um, and so on. Um, I've been working actually with the folks at Microsoft Research in Cambridge on some of the sample code that they had uh, over the last few weeks. Long story behind that. But fantastic technology, very simple to use. It's basically a whole bunch of APIs you can call, and uh, you'll end up building yourself a, uh, a confidential ledger at the back end. 
Also, uh, now that I'm in the uh, Azure Database platform, uh, Azure Database for MySQL, Flexible Server, now supports data encryption with customer managed keys. That is in public preview. Um, so this is where you can store your keys uh, in Key Vault, and that way you can do you know, any degree of sort of key backup, key rotation. So basically the whole key lifecycle um, is totally up to you um, rather than having the platform manage the key. And the last one, is that we've now had added trusted launch support for some new uh, VM types. So DCS version 3 and DCDS version 3 VMs now support trusted boot or trusted launch. So this is another thing that's from the stable of confidential computing. Um, essentially, if you're familiar with uh, the way TPMs work, trusted platform modules work in Windows, where you can do what's called a measured boot to make sure that the, you know, the whole boot sequence is free of malware and rootkits and bootkits. Same thing, exact same thing. Uh, big difference is rather than being a TPM, it's a VTPM, a virtualized TPM, um, but the technology is essentially the same. So that's all the news I have. So with that, let's turn our attention to Mark, who's here to talk about something that is absolutely near and dear to his heart, and that is a new Chief Information Security Officer workshop. So Mark, why don't you give us a quick overview of what on earth this thing is? Yep, it's... Um we like to call it the CISO workshop. Um, I actually finally decided on the pronunciation of that when uh, at one of our CISO summits, um, Brett Arsenault asked the audience of these top 50 or 100 CISOs, how do you actually pronounce it? And it was like overwhelmingly CISO. So that's actually what I go with. Um, but ultimately, we put uh, this is uh, an update of a workshop. It's a uh, pretty uh, significant overhaul of something that we had initially put out, and I think it was 2016 or 2017. Um, that's still fairly popular, um, something like a couple thousand uh, uh, unique visitors a month. And uh, so we decided, you know, especially with all the changes and all the things that we've learned in the past, um, you know, five years or so, you know, we decided to go ahead and update this. And then, um, so this is the new version of the CISO workshop pretty much covers just about everything that someone in that role or a similar role, because not everyone gets that title that does the job, um, would need to care about. And as many insights and lessons learned and best practices and models as we could pack into it to help the folks um, that are, are doing that job really learn uh, from all the things that we've been learning, you know, uh, from you know, both inside Microsoft as well as across our customer base. So I don't even know where to start with this. I'm going to be totally honest with you. So <laughs> what are you trying to achieve with this thing? Like, and also, I guess that if it's five or six years old, as you said, it's a, a big overhaul. My guess is the threat landscape has changed significantly. Um, the attackers' sort of methods have changed, as well as the defenders' uh, methods have changed as well. So you want to just give our listeners an overview as to you know who who this is aimed at and you know what are you trying to achieve with all of this? So ultimately, um, we aim this at, and I think it's it's on the landing page itself where, that we talk about. It's CISOs, CIOs, so um, those uh, sort of executive leaders um, in whatever title they happen to be. Generally, they're uh, the direct reports and the directors that run a function or a department for them, um, and then any other roles that have sort of an uh, enterprise-wide scope, um, you know, such as a, a lead architect or you know a team of architects within the organization, or you know a governance lead, etc. So anybody that deals with all of the security across um, an entire uh, technical estate or organization um, is really kind of our target audience. A lot of other folks would get a lot out of it, but that's really where where we aimed it at. The, the thing that we've seen that's really changed in um, the past five years is just that we've got a much more mature view 
and understanding of what the CISO faces as a job, because it's it's one of the toughest jobs um, in security, period. You have to be literate and conversant on technical topics. And so you can you know sort of understand those. Um, you have to be literate and conversant on uh, security topics and kind of the dynamics of security, the threat environment, et cetera. And you also have to be, you know, literate and conversant on business topics and risk and and how the organization, you know, and senior leaders and board members view the world, how they think about things, how they manage risk, um, the taxonomies that they use, you know, whether it's informal or formal, like you've got to be able to talk to them about, you know, what are their business initiatives? Where are they going to be looking for revenue? Um, where, you know, what does risk mean to them in terms of actual loss and, and what do they care about? What do they not care about? So the CISO is really a bridge between a lot of different worlds and it's a really, really tough job. Basically, the goal of this is to help people be successful with that job. That's the primary goal. Um, so they can mature their programs and be successful with it. Um, and then, you know, uh, a lot of it, honestly, is there's so many people that aspire to this role and we need people aspiring to this role because, um, you know, it's a, it's a very important job and uh, and folks need to understand kind of what they're getting into and to sort of learn that. So we, we fully expect folks will use this as a ramp up as well to sort of learn the job, even if they, whether they want to do it or not. So Mark, I, I know a little bit about this being that I did help you out on just some of those little. videos, <laughs> just a little bit. Uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit more about the structure um, and uh, of the workshop and, and how we, we kind of go through the material? To, to Michael's um, sort of comment earlier, you know, ultimately the first thing that we start with is context, right? So the threat environment is one of the big pieces of that context and how has that evolved? Um, and, you know, we've seen a lot of maturity, as it were, you know, in the not so good sense of the attackers and, and the way that they buy and sell things and their business models, um, you know, through extortion, ransomware and other things, um, as well as the data theft has matured as well. Um, so we've seen a lot of sophistication um, get put into there, whether it's business model or technical sophistication. And... Um, so the first part is really focused on, you know, not only the threat environment, but also the business environment and how is that changing security and how are the, the cloud and, and technical platform changes uh, changing security and, and these sort of drivers for modernizing. And then, you know, in that, the first part, we also cover roles and responsibilities and how are those jobs changing and, and how do all these things connect together and what are the sort of jobs of the future or jobs of the current and then, you know, the strategy and how do we recommend, you know, we basically include a reference strategy, including defining very specific initiatives with outcomes and goals, et cetera. And, you know, these bring in zero trust principles and um, they tie in our, our cloud adoption framework of how organizations are modernizing and adopting the cloud, et cetera. So the first section is all about context setting, right? So that, okay, let's start with a common baseline. And then the second and third sections are, are kind of, I guess the easiest way to think about it is the top half and the bottom half of the job, right? So the top half of the job is how do you align your security program to the business, right? To the organization you're in, how do you align it to the risk management um, taxonomy and system? And how do you engage business leaders and make them successful? Um, how do you integrate with your IT departments? And, and what is the North Star of the program that you're trying to achieve? You know, business resilience, you know, it's a short answer. 
And then that third section is a little bit more of sort of the, the bits and bytes of the program itself and the strategy. So it's not getting into technical stuff, but it is the, the disciplines that you need to run and you need to have as sort of an ongoing, we're going to do this for a very long period of time. So things like access control, security operations, asset protection, governance, et cetera, um, and innovation security. And like these are the things that you need to do on an ongoing basis and have sort of a, an ongoing program of record that makes sure this is always getting done. And so it's really kind of that three parts, the context, that top half of the program, how do you connect security to the rest of the organization, and that bottom half of how do you structure um, security. And that, that bottom half, we actually lean heavily on uh, some of the work with the open group that we've been part of um, on sort of what does a modern you know, zero trust enabled security program look like. That's super interesting, actually. I'm, I'm going to have to dig into this just because I'm nosy, but tell me more about um, what you would, um, your partnership with the Open Group. That's very interesting that I just want to know more about. Oh, absolutely. So I was actually, I just flew in today, um, uh, as of the recording of this, um, from uh, a conference with the Open Group. Um, and so they're a standards organization that dates back to... I believe they actually defined the Unix standard, if I recall correctly. Um, I said, I guess I should say we, because I'm part of the open group as well. Um, but I was definitely not a part of defining Unix. I'm much too young for that. Um, and then uh, things that folks might have heard of in the security industry, the uh, the Jericho Forum was actually hosted by the Open Group. Um, it's you know since retired and become part of the security forum in general. Um, but the folks that put out the Jericho commandments and deperimeterization back in you know the early to mid two thousands um, were hosted there. The uh, TOGAF standard, the Open Group architecture framework i think um which is you know a very popular you know architectural definition and certification um and uh, lots of things on digital transformation as well so um it's basically an open standards organization and we're actually working towards and that was the talk that i uh, they gave with my um co-chair of uh, the Zero Trust Architecture Forum, uh, working group rather, there, was about um, the upcoming standard for Zero Trust um, that, we're, uh, that we're defining uh, for a Zero Trust reference model. And, and one, of the, one of the cool things, and this is just you know, me personally because I've been you know, working hard towards this, is uh, one of the things I really, really liked about the conference today is we had, you know, a Microsoft perspective, which actually was uh, from Joseph Davis, and then there was a Open Group perspective, which was uh, the one that I uh, session that I did, as well as the one that um, uh, Jim Hightala did, um, and and so the Open Group had a couple different perspectives on the Zero Trust, and then there was also NIST there, so um, Rujia uh, Supaya. Uh, presented on the NIST perspective and their update from their National Cybersecurity Center of Excellence project, um, or NCCOE for short, and uh, on zero trust. And they, you know, they have something on the order of a couple dozen uh, vendors in there implementing zero trust in the lab. Um, and so it was really fascinating to hear all these different perspectives and you know, presented on, in my case. And they're actually all pretty closely aligned. There's a lot of people that remarked on that. And it's like finally giving me hope that, hey, in security, we're actually starting to agree on something. We actually have consensus on what zero trust is, which, you know, was really awesome because we've had such a, a sort of like fractured, you know, individual specialized view of security for so long. We're all finally agreeing on how to modernize the thing. So that was particularly exciting for me. That is super cool. And as someone who has also uh, done a little bit uh, with 
the NCCOE as well. Um, that's been really uh, cool as well. I helped out with the lab a little bit. So it's not nearly as exciting as Mark. But um, so how would you say all of that's feeding in then to the the, the CISO workshop? Is there anything else you can add there? Um, is it Are we going to see a lot of Zero Trust stuff in the CISO workshop? Yes. Um, effectively, Zero Trust... The way the way that you know we think about it, and I can say we in a much broader sense now, um, having had that confirmation, is it's if you think about what's starting with a digital transformation, like the businesses are you know kind of shifting, and we we talk about this quite a bit in the CISO workshop recordings. Businesses are shifting because hey, you got these startups, you know, no longer startups like Netflix and Amazon and uh, Uber that have really disrupted the industries that they're in and taken a whole different view of it using cloud based technology. And then that starts off this cloud transformation because organizations, in order to compete with that, you know, businesses especially, have to actually meet customers where they want to be and not just run things like they used to in retail and, and all these other industries. And so you end up with this business transforming and figuring out its processes. You find the technology, you know, through cloud is, you know, transforming everything and changing it. Like everything changes at least a little bit, sometimes a lot. And then security, basically, zero trust is that third leg of the transformation. It's how security is, you know, modernizing and thinking of things differently and linking into those uh, strategic changes. And so, you know, when we say zero trust is a part of this, it's basically woven throughout. And there's very concrete zero trust principles. There's very concrete technology that's different than the way things used to be. But ultimately, it's also changing roles and responsibilities. And it's changing uh, mindsets and the way people think about it. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a full top to bottom end to end transformation where, yeah, you can see the old in it when you look at it, but you also see that it's very different than it used to be. So it's, it's, um, it's sort of like just underpinning um, all these different things. And we kind of call it out in a bunch of places. So I don't want to elaborate too much, if unless we have to. But mm-hmm. uh, so you mentioned zero trust. I mean, there's, the open group has a you know a particular stance on that, right? Um, like they have there is a zero trust working group within the open group. Uh, exactly. I'm, I'm one of the co-chairs of it. Yep. Yeah. And so, sort of to Sarah's point, I mean, are we seeing you know more customers adopting zero trust principles? Not necessarily every single one, but you know, starting somewhere and. Uh, you know, working towards you know what it means on a to go on a sort of a zero trust journey. Are we seeing that sort of picking up more steam? I realize this really doesn't have a lot to do necessarily with the CISO workshop, but I'm just curious more than anything else. Oh yeah, and, and we we do talk about this, I think, in several of the videos um, in there. Um, but the answer is yes. Um, so ultimately, this transformation. We're seeing a lot of customers on the journey. I mean, many of them explicitly call it out, um, and and many of those that are you know sort of transforming and modernizing are actually using the zero trust terminology. Um, but just about every organization, if you're going to cloud, you can't just get away with a firewall IDS IPS and call it a day like we used to, um, or you know throwing a bunch of logs in the sim and and not actually. You know, and having a whole bunch of false positives that burn people out. Those sort of like classic security problems of previous generations. Everybody's trying to solve those problems. And um, so ultimately, just about everybody's on this journey, whether they know it or not, and whether they call it zero trust or not. Some people say they're adopting SASE. Great. SASE is basically a subset and a component, a specific architecture um, of that, that fits within Zero Trust. Um, SASE is a Secure Access Service Edge, S-A-S-E. Um, 
I don't know why they pronounced it sassy, but you know, everybody does. <laughs> but yeah, just about everybody's on that on that journey. You know, it's interesting. Um, now that I've taken this position, sort of on the back, you know the back end of Azure, as it were, um, it's interesting how how important zero trust is, you know, to the actual running of, of Azure. Um, mm. You know, I, I see a lot of documentation. I see a lot of you know issues getting raised and so on um, around you know, core zero trust principles, especially things like assume breach um, mm-hmm. and least privilege are probably the two of the biggest ones that I see you know referenced the most. I think I'm not going to say that they're the easiest to do necessarily. I think that they're easiest to sort of understand really quickly. And so yeah, we're seeing a lot of references to that. You know, again at the Azure backend. When you sort of step back from it and you sort of understand the zero trust information, you kind of think about it. In many ways, all we've done with zero trust is we've taken away one bad assumption that we used as a shortcut, which is that we can create a safe network and then everything on it is de facto safe, right? Which was a bad assumption. We essentially got called on it by the attackers and we got called on it by the business that's, you know, operating outside, you know, with SaaS, software as a service and mobile devices and all these other kind of things that are outside of your perimeter. You know, essentially all zero trust is, is resetting security back to where it should have been, which is let's think through this problem completely without this assumption we are on a safe network and therefore everything in it is magically safe. And so all we've done is ripped out that one huge assumption that was a shortcut that just wasn't valid. Okay, so Mark, um, as, as you know, I know a little bit about this because, you know. A little bit? Come on, you were literally bit, there yeah. during the recording. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know a little bit about it because I was helping you do the recording. Uh, so... I don't know. Um, just for those of uh, for those of you listening, um, I got to uh, my myself and um, our very awesome colleague Elizabeth uh, helped do the recordings for this, which will be public. That you can go watch myself, Mark, and Elizabeth do the recordings for this workshop. Um, Mark, let's talk about the, uh, that recording time and and some of the things that we did. Um, <laughs> I'm going to let you go um, and start this one off because I could tell lots of stories, probably half of which are not relevant. So I'm going to let you you go first here. Okay. So for the most part, most of the sections, most of the videos that you're going to see are, are, are pretty much a reference presentation, similar to how we would actually engage with the customer and present and discuss a particular topic. So that's really the basis for all of these different um, sections that it's broken into. I, I can't remember how many. It feels like a dozen or two videos. You know, they're anywhere between six, eight minutes and like 20, 25 minutes. But the one that sticks out in my mind that I remember the most, because I honestly didn't have a plan for how to record this going in, there's a very special section in Part B. So you know, Part B is the one where you're aligning to the business. And we decided that we wanted to not just say, here's all the stuff you have to do and, you know, and just kind of leave it there. We wanted to actually give people, you know, a set of slides and the ability to have a conversation. You know, if I'm sitting in the CISO role, maybe I'm new to it. Maybe I'm trying to uh, bring a, a business leader, you know, to my side or to try and build a relationship. How do I, as a security leader, engage with a business leader, right? How do I talk about security in a very simple, straightforward way that they can relate to? And then how do I ask for the things I need to make my program successful? And, and so as we got into this one, I think it was like two minutes before we were starting the recording. It's like, hey, do you want to do this as a role play? It's like, okay, cool. We got three people. Elizabeth, CEO, Sarah, CIO, Mark, our hapless CISO 
trying to like, you know, convince them to, to come along with this security journey thing that they probably classically don't care about. And so we did. And it was, I mean, just about a hundred percent improvised. And I mean, in retrospect, it was fun in the moment. It was tough because, uh, Elizabeth played an amazingly tough business leader. I mean, like, you know, hardcore military style, uh, business leader, and, and she made it tough for me as a CISO. And so I was doing everything I could to keep it on track and keep it focused. And I think, I don't think it made the, the final cut of it, but at one point I was like, okay, you got to give me an opening. You just shut me out completely. I've got no chance of like showing how to engage with a, um, with a business leader. Um, but we, we did have a lot of fun with it and, um, you know, really kind of showed that interplay and, and, you know, the toughest possible situation so that we could, you know, give people kind of, you know, some, uh, some material that they could use and copy as they're engaging their business leaders and, and bringing them in, into understanding security and how to help security be successful. Because the, the thing that we learned, and this is, you know, this is a huge, huge learning as, as we work with our customers is security cannot be successful without their business leader support. Like ultimately, you know, you know, the way that accountability and, and responsibility are typically laid out uh, customers doesn't set people up for success because if security gets blamed for everything, they're sort of in a, you know, CYA or cover your assets mode. Right. And, you know, cause they're just waiting to be blamed for the next thing. And then if business doesn't include security risk as part of the rest of the things they worry about, like legal and political and natural disasters and economic and you know monetary rate kind of things that as a business owner, a factory owner, a you know product line owner, like if you don't include security in there, you just dump it on the security dude, then you're not making a good balanced decision. And so there's this sort of, you know, how do we bring security into that conversation and help make the business folks literate? to have that conversation. And so we had, I don't know, I just had a lot of fun with that role play. Um, Fun being painful at the time. (laughs) And I had a lot of fun with that. Yeah, um, I just got to talk about some of the arguments that I've heard um, in the upper echelons of uh, IT management. And well, not even IT management, just general business leadership, because there's a lot of conflicts there, right? Um, You know, who's going to take care of things, how much it's going to cost, blah, 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 blah. So yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was really fun. Yeah. And Um, you got to watch me squirm too. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. And, and the reality is, is that, you know, this is the stuff that comes up. doesn't matter what industry vertical you are, how big you are. Like these are the same sort of challenges that everyone will have when trying to implement this. So um, hopefully for those of you who are in CISO leadership positions, it, um, at least you, you feel like you're not alone. Just real quick. So what was the role, of, no pun intended, what was the role of the role playing? Was it just to sort of play different positions and then see how you would respond or were you using material that you had to sort of help guide some of the responses? So we roughly stuck to the material that was in that section. I think it's about five slides, six slides, I think. And then there's some optional ones in case it goes dark. We didn't end up going dark, um, which is, okay, this is what a ransomware attack is really like. And let me explain it to you in terms that you understand. Um, so we didn't really cover that one there, but the the slides are there for that. But you know, we roughly stayed to that storyline, and that was the thing I was doing as the struggling CISO was to try and keep the conversation on track. Um, you know, despite uh, Elizabeth's um, efforts, <laughs> does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And then um, 
Elizabeth was very strong leader. I, I was a little bit intimidated. So, so these, so these role play videos, or these, this role play is available in the in the videos. Yep, that's one of the videos. Yep, it's the engaging business leaders on security one. Yep. Yeah, that'd be cool. Be cool. And then the other thing that that um, that we had a, a lot of fun with was um, we didn't really cover it too in depth. It's it's more for the sort of the slides and PDFs and whatnot. But um, we did cover the maturity models because that's one of the things we we included in the CISO workshop is maturity models for sort of your overall program and how it integrates with the business, um, as well as the uh, governance over the different pieces of the program and kind of how those progress. And then how do you get from maturity model model level one to two to three to four, um, et cetera. And uh, we put a lot of effort into those because we, we didn't want to have some abstract academic, you know, oh, basic to standard to optimized to dynamic or something, right? Which is a typical way of doing maturity models, or rather at least a common way. And we, we focused on you know, what are the actual journeys organizations take? And sometimes they over pivot on like security operations because, hey, we got a, a big incident and then they realize, oh my gosh, we haven't invested into um, prevention as much as we have. Otherwise, you know, because if we don't, we're going to have to hire like 200 more security analysts in the SOC. Um, and so we tried to really, you know, have each of those levels of maturity reflect the real journey and kind of encourage people to skip the, uh, the you know, the off-balance mistakes um, as possible. But um, those are those are something that we also included in there. So, Mark, one of the things I remember, because, well, I know you, you wrote all of this material, so you know it off by heart. But one of the things that really sticks out for me is when we were talking about the strategic initiatives part of the workshop. Mm -hmm. So, uh, just for our audience, uh, do you want to give us a little bit of a summary about that um, and what that involves and what we cover? Yeah, that, that's a really good point. Um so one of the things we introduce in that first part in the sort of context is that reference strategy, right? Like what does good look like from a security strategy uh, standpoint? And, you know, this is very much a contrast with kind of classic security, which really built a strategy around a single tactic, which is, you know, a, a security perimeter um, based on network technology. You know, it's, it's like taking one page out of a... Uh, out of a uh, military uh, handbook and saying this is the one thing that we're doing is kind of what we did without meaning to in the early days of security because um, so many folks focus so heavily on that network perimeter. And so we really broadened it out to a genuinely aligned with you know the typical default tra digital transformation and cloud transformation strategies. And then we broke it into, okay, here are the... Um, uh, six different specific modernization initiatives that most organizations are either undertaking or should start undertaking. Um, so modernizing uh, identity access, um, all types of access, including network access, um, uh, modernizing security operations, um, uh, OT and IoT, infrastructure and development, which I know is near and dear to Michael's heart. And, and you know, so modernizing each of those and, you know, coming up with that co coherent thing. And that actually is those strategic initiatives is how we uh, structured the the follow-ons and uh, the architecture design sessions. So they're, they're discussed in the CISO workshop, but they are not out yet. We're still in the process of finishing those up and, you know, getting the recording schedules scheduled, et cetera, at the time of this, uh, this podcast. Um, but ultimately those become that sort of structure for the rest of the guidance of, you know, here's all the different things that you need to do to modernize your program and take it from wherever it's at, you know, 
with maturity models and and plans and all that to help that journey along. Uh, but ultimately, you know, here's here's those six work streams that, you know, you, know, you might have a different priority depending on whether in your manufacturing or whether in your retail or you know whether in banking, um, you may or may not care about OT or IoT at the same level as as uh, as a different industry, but. You know, these are the the six modernization things that just about every organization we've seen um, tends to structure around, and then all the lessons learned that we could pack into their reference plans, reference architectures to help people be successful. And so, a lot of that is still to come in the architecture design sessions as we get into the technical details. But we do introduce those and you know and work through those in the CISO workshop. Yeah, I'm going to ask you, right? Because I just can't help myself. I hate there better be something in there for developers, right? We, we actually put that in the innovation security uh, area. And the reason that it doesn't have sort of a familiar term like DevSecOps or development security is because we wanted to make room um, for not only professional developers that are really moving from that securing a waterfall to, uh, approach to a securing a DevSecOps or something in between. Um, but we also wanted to include this emerging trend of citizen developers. Um, so we're starting to see like normal, non-technical people using things like Power BI and Power Apps to connect systems and data across the organization, which is you know very much an early emerging space right now. But it's an area that you know as soon as you can create business value of it, you can create risk. Right, um, and so that that double-edged sword dynamic, and so we're very heavily focused right now on the DevSecOps elements, and how do you integrate security into a DevOps process, and not get in the way of the developers, and not dump a bunch of false positives and a long report to them, but to actually you know give them clean alerts, actionable stuff they can do, embed the knowledge in there. So very much focused on that sort of DevSecOps approach. Um, but yeah, that's that's the innovation security discipline, and then that gets modernized by that uh, infrastructure and development security um, initiative, which is going to be module four of the architecture design session. If it's a, a section called innovation, what other sort of topics are in there? Um, it's mostly those two: the professional developers or the DevSecOps scenario, right? That everybody's trying to get to. And then the citizen developer, sort of power apps, low code, no code. So those are the two types of how do you secure the innovation that's happening. So it's much more of a recognition of the innovation happening in the technical and business realms. And how do you provide security for that without slowing it down? Uh, fun fact, my uncle, who's in his 80s, he's been doing Excel development for a long, long time. And uh, yeah, he, he can crank some stuff out. So he's a... Probably more advanced citizen developer than most, but uh, definitely not a not a software engineer by any stretch of anyone's imagination. But uh, yeah, he's a whiz when it comes to Excel. I'll give him that. Well, you know as well as all of us, but we always like to ask our, our guests um, if you had one thought to leave our listeners with, uh, what would it be? In addition to the obvious, you know, please watch the videos and you know, of course provide feedback, etc. The big thing that I would keep in mind for folks is. As you're going through this and as you're thinking about this topic in your day-to-day job, recognize that it's a big transformation. And, you know, in the way the the best way to sort of get through something that's, you know, where everything is changing or could change around you that you're familiar with and used to is, you know, set a North Star and keep going, right? And this is, I think it's one of the tips early in the workshop. 
and that you're going to be making continuous progress each day. And so you just want to make sure you have a clear vision. So when you're walking as much as you can on that day or in that hour, that you're walking in the right direction, but just kind of have that expectation that this is a longer journey. It is a longer transformation and just, you know, just expect that you're going to make continuous progress. So do what you can now and just always be working in that direction. That's, that's the big thing that we've learned, you know, as all this is happening and, and, you know, it's always a mix. Also, it's, uh, you know, kind of a mix of the old and the new, right? So a lot of the things that we've learned in the network security and all these things will still apply. We're not taking firewalls down, right? But recognize you're going to have to learn new things. Like, I mean, even you look at network security, it's becoming a part of like three or four or five different jobs. It's not one job anymore. And so just kind of expect that a lot of things are going to change, but, you know, have that clarity of where you're going and have the confidence that, hey, I'm going to do the best I can today. That's that's kind of, you know, the way I think about it. A brief look through some of the material I think is absolutely fantastic. And I think um, a lot of our listeners will get a great deal of, of use out of those documents and the, and the videos. So again, um, thanks for, I'm not going to say thanks for joining us because you're here anyway, but thanks for joining us. Um, and to all our listeners out there, thank you so much for listening. I hope you found this useful. Uh, stay safe out there and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Azure Security Podcast. You can find show notes and other resources at our website, azsecuritypodcast.net. If you have any questions, please find us on Twitter at Azure SecPod. Background music is from ccmixter.com and licensed under the Creative Commons license.